Good morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Adam Curtis, the curate here, and it's a joy to be with you all here in the building and for everyone who's watching online. Um, as we come to God's word, let us come in prayer. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. And we thank you that we have the opportunity today to be listening. And we pray, Father God, will you please give us humble hearts, humble hearts which are ready to hear everything that you have to say and ready to believe. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then God is calling you home. We see this in the very first verse of our chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. God is calling us home. We have a heavenly calling. When I was growing up, we um, have a very tall sort of house with a, a, a lovely big garden. And I've got two brothers and a sister. And um, my mum, she had this Chinese sort of like gong right by the kitchen door. And whenever dinner was ready, she would bang the gong so that wherever we were in the house, whether right at the top or far in the garden, we could come running to the kitchen table. And our mother was calling us home. In the same sort of way, we have a heavenly father and he's sort of standing by the spiritual back door and he is calling out all across the garden, all across the world, to his children, and he is calling them home. He is calling them to heaven. God is calling us home, and particularly from these words here in Hebrews, our understanding of, of home, understanding of heaven, is, is very much linked to, to rest. God is calling us to this place of rest. Now in the Bible, when we hear rest, there's certain images which sort of pop into our heads. Rest is the Lord God working solidly for six days to create everything that there was and then resting on the seventh. And we're being invited into that rest. Rest is running a marathon race and once we've crossed the finish line, exhausted, we get to rest. And we're being invited into that rest. Biblical rest is a, the people of God being enslaved in Egypt, being rescued from the Lord God, being taken out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the mountain, uh, to the mountain, through the wilderness, to the promised land, a land flow, flowing with milk and honey, a land of rest. The Lord God, he is standing at the spiritual back door, and he is calling out to all his children to come home, to come to this place of rest. And the message of, of Hebrews as a whole is telling us we've got to stay faithful to this call. We've got to stay faithful to this call. And our chapter today gives us five ways to stay faithful to this heavenly calling. And our first way, seen in verses 1 to 6, is fix your thoughts on the faithful one. Stay faithful to this heavenly calling by fixing your thoughts on the faithful one. And to sort of help us understand 
just how faithful the faithful one is, how faithful the Lord Jesus Christ is, the author of the Hebrews creates a comparison for us to see how faithful Jesus Christ is. And he doesn't create a comparison with just a nobody, a low life. He creates a comparison with one of the best. He creates a comparison with one of the most faithful heroes of Scripture, with Moses himself. And because when you look at Moses, whoa, Moses is faithful indeed. Think about how faithful Moses is. We, we see it when, when Moses, uh, when the Lord God comes to meet Moses in the burning bush and speaks to Moses and tells Moses he's got to head back to Egypt, the place he's just run away from and escaped, and he goes. We see how faithful Moses is, that he is willing to stand against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, the most powerful man of his age, the most powerful man Moses would have ever met. Moses was willing to face him and say to him, let my people go. We see how faithful Moses is. That he, that he, um, sorry, we see how faithful Moses is that when he comes to the Red Sea and you have the army of the Egyptians behind him and the Red Sea in front of him, he places his staff in the water to let the water part. We see how faithful Moses is that it is only Moses who the Lord God will let to come up into the mountain of Sinai in the, cl- in the, in the cloud and the smoke and the fire and the trumpet blasts. We see how faithful Moses is because it is only Moses who allowed into this place, the the mountain, and who's allowed to see the very back of God. And this has such a transforming impact upon Moses that his face shines. In the Old Testament, Moses is a hero and his faithfulness is on display. Verse 2 tells us that he is faithful in God's house. Verse 5 tells us that he's a faithful servant. And he's borne witness to everything that was to come. But in comparison to this faithful servant, in comparison to this hero of the Old Testament, Moses, Jesus is worth greater honour. Jesus is worth greater honour. Verse 2, he's faithful in his duties. Verse 3, he's creator of the house. Verse 6, he is a faithful son over the house. Every renter knows when you rent a property, that it's your job to keep it clean. But when crisis comes, it's the landlord's job to sort it out. When um, I was renting in Tunbridge Wells with two friends, and we were sitting in our, in our kitchen, and there was um, a dripping just on the kitchen table, and we were like, oh, where's this water coming from? So we looked up on the ceiling, it was coming through the ceiling, so we go into the room above, the bathroom, and there's water pouring into the bathroom, we go into the room above, my housemate's room and there's water pouring into that we go into the attic and one of the pipes has burst and so we sort out the water we turn all the water off to store stop it dripping down throughout the house then we start mopping it all up and then a few hours later we hear this almighty crash we hear an almighty crash and we go into our bathroom and the whole ceiling of the bathroom all the plaster has just like crashed onto the floor and so we call up our landlord (laughs) We call up our landlord to let them know what's happened. Because it's our job, yes, to clean the house, but it is the landlord's job to sort out the problems. It's, it's their job to pay for a whole new piping system. It's their job to pay to sort out this ceiling. The renters look after it. The landlord has to deal with it. 
Moses was a faithful servant. He was like a renter in the house, and he did his duties. But Jesus is like the landlord over the house, and he deals with the house and all its problems. And the faithfulness of Jesus, well, it's displayed that he left his throne of glory, of power and of majesty, to become like nothing, like one of us. And as nothing, as a human being, he went to the lowest of the low, and he, took, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, to deal with this house which was falling down to deal with our sin. That is how faithful Jesus is. He is faithful over the house. And so the author of Hebrews is is crying out to us to stay faithful to this call of heaven. We need to fix our eyes on the faithful one. But as we are fixing our eyes on the faithful one, we also need to be aware that there are examples in Scripture of unfaithful ones. And we're, we're being told, don't be like them. If you've got a Bible, look down at verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now this, uh, this passage is, is from, an, um, from a psalm. And that psalm is talking about the unfaithful generation. The unfaithful wilderness generation. And that was the generation who were slaves in Egypt. And they saw the Lord God send ten plagues upon the Egyptians so that they could be rescued. It was that generation who were taken out of Egypt to the Red Sea, and they saw the army of the Egyptians behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, and the Lord God parted the Red Sea so that they could be taken through it. It was that generation who were taken from Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai who saw at the top of the mountain the cloud, the smoke, the fire, the trumpets, the glory of the Lord. They saw it all. It is this generation which is unfaithful because even though they had seen all this, When they came to the promised land, the land of milk and honey, when they came to Canaan and they sent spies into the land, well, well, these spies came back and two of them said, the land's great, let's go. But the rest of them said, we can't go anywhere near that land. That land is terrifying. The people of that land will destroy us. They cry out. The people of that land, they're like giants. And we're like tiny little grasshoppers. If we go there, they'll destroy us. And because these spies came back and made this report that they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers, all the people of God, even though they'd seen what God did to Pharaoh, even though they'd seen the Red Sea, even though they'd seen Mount Sinai, even though they heard the Lord's voice, all the people said, don't, I don't want to go into Canaan. I don't trust you, God. Why, why, did you, why did you take us out of Egypt, God? We can't go there. They're just going to destroy us. And this is why they were unfaithful. This is why they are the unfaithful wilderness generation, because they were sent in the wilderness for 40 years. They heard the voice of the Lord and they doubted. They heard the voice of the Lord and they were unbelieving. They heard the voice of the Lord and they had hard hearts. They had heard, they had seen. 
And so we today are being called, we're being reminded of this sinful generation from the days of Exodus. Don't be like them. Don't be men and women who have seen all that the Lord has done, who has heard all that the Lord has said, and who have unbelieving hearts. This then brings us on to the, the third way that we can stay faithful to the calling. We need to be people who examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. Verse 12 calls us to examine our hearts and stresses how important this is. Verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it that none of us have a sinful and unbelieving heart. There's a novel called Gilead, and in it, uh, one of the characters is is a minister, and this minister just makes this reflection, which I'm just going to read out. That's the strangest, that's the strangest thing about this life, and uh, about being in ministry. People change the subject when they see you coming. And then sometimes those same people come into your study and tell you the most remarkable things. There's a lot under the surface of life. A lot of malice and dread, and guilt, and so much loneliness where you wouldn't really expect to find it either. You know, I haven't been in ministry for that many years, but through these, the years I've done ministry, I've heard many stories, many personal stories, so many personal stories that I'm no longer surprised by the things which I hear because there's an awful lot under the surface of life. Hebrews is asking us, are we, and challenging us, are we brave enough to examine our hearts? Are we brave enough to examine our hearts? Socrates says the unexamined life isn't worth living, and the theologian John Owen puts it even stronger and says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Are we brave enough to examine our hearts? Are we going to be like that unfaithful generation who were taken from Egypt through the Red Sea to the mountain, got to the promised land and said, no, I've heard, I've seen, but I don't believe. Are we going to be like them? Or are we going to be men and women who hear and believe? Are we going to be men and women who have soft hearts? Or are we going to be men and women who have heavy, hard hearts? And are we even willing to examine our hearts to answer that question? We've been called today to examine ourselves. In the context of examining ourselves, we're being called next, fourthly, to encourage one another. We need to encourage each other. Verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Being faithful to this call of heaven is a team game. I need all of you, and you need me, and we all need each other. It is a team game. I asked them around the church for just stories of daily encouragement. Stories of daily encouragement of... um, from different church members of people who had just spurred them on to keep running the race. 
And a few people got back to me. Um, Helen Young told me a, a, a story of um, during the time of Advent and then during the time of Lent, her and her, her godchildren and their cipher group would message each other and be, um, because they were going through Tom's devotions uh, of Advent and Lent. And so each day they'd sort of be messaging each other and reflecting on these devotions and how this spurred each other on. Katie Parsons told me the story that when she first became a Christian, it was sort of the days pre-mobile phones, and uh, she went traveling uh, in East Asia. And she'd only just become a Christian, and she had lots of questions, and she had lots of things she wanted to think through. And so she used to write to, uh, to the Christians she knew back home. And, uh, and these Christians would just faithfully write back to her. And every new location she got to, she would go to like the central post, post office, and there would be a letter from these faithful Christians who had written to her to encourage her, to spur her on. Or I think back when I had my first job out of university and I lived with a few guys and every morning we would uh, read the Bible together for just 15, 20 minutes. We'd read a little bit of the Bible and we'd pray to each other. And this was one of the times of just great spiritual growth because daily we were encouraging each other. And actually during the time of like lockdown, these same friends, we now on a Tuesday morning just for half an hour over Zoom, um, just read a bit of the Bible and encourage each other. We're spurring each other on. And that's what we need to do through email, through Zoom, through, through WhatsApp, through Messenger, through letters, through face-to-face. We need to daily be spurring each other on, encouraging each other. As long as it is called today, we need to spur one another on. And we need to spur one another on because the second half of that verse, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. It is easy to listen to. It's easy to be led astray. So we need each other. And there's different ways that sin can be deceitful. It could be deceitful through like a dull, a dull mind, just ignorance. We just don't know the way we're meant to live. We don't know the way of the Lord. Or it could be sinful through, through a hard heart. We know the way of the Lord and we don't want to live it. We know what God says and we don't want to believe it. But we need the other people around us. I need you and you need me to, to speak into our dull minds and to speak into our hard hearts and to draw us to God. To draw us back to God. To fix our eyes on the faithful one. We need each other to do this. And lastly, fifthly, if we're going to stay faithful to the call of heaven, we need to hold fast. We need to hold fast. Because there are storms in life. And there are a storm will come, or we might already be in the middle of a storm right now. And in the midst of a storm, we've got to hold fast. Verse 14, we, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We've got to hold fast to our original conviction. We've got to hold fast to Jesus Christ. We've got to hold fast to the faithful one. And we've got to take great comfort that as we are holding fast to him, he is holding fast to us. And we should take great comfort that we are a brick in the house. We're a brick in the house, but this is Jesus' house. And he's not going to let one single brick get knocked out, get kicked out, get discarded, get thrown in the rubbish. As we hold on to him, he is holding on to us. So take comfort. Take comfort. The Lord God, 
our Heavenly Father, He is standing in front of a spiritual back door. And behind Him, He's cooking up a feast. The feast of heaven, a wedding feast. A place of eternal rest. The place where we were... We were made to be with the one we were made to be with. And the Heavenly Father, he is standing at this spiritual back door and he is shouting out across all of creation to all of his children, young and old. He is calling us home to the place of rest. And God has given us everything, everything we need to get there. We need to fix our eyes on the faithful one. We need to learn the lessons from sinful generations of the past. We need to examine our hearts and know that the heart of the human problem is the human heart. We need to encourage each other and spur each other on as long as it is called today. And we need to hold fast and know that he is holding fast to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you speak to us individually, collectively, that you speak to us today. And we pray and we ask, please, Father, May our hearts not be hard. Please may we be soft and humble and ready to receive everything that you have to say to us and to believe it and to trust it and to follow it and help us, Father God, to spur each other on, to encourage each other as long as it is called today. In the name of Jesus, amen.